Welcome to the History of the Bible. Here we will look to the Bible and explore the history of God's story. From the perspective that the Bible is absolute truth with events that actually happen with people that actually live. Never measuring what the Bible says and comparing it to man's theories, but always putting the theories under what the Bible says as truth. Come join us in the History of the Bible podcast. Episode 2, My Brother Who? As Adam and Eve were exiled by God from the Garden of Eden, we're told that Adam knew Eve and she gave birth to Cain. Now many scholars get caught up in what happens next. Once Cain is born, Eve says that she has begotten a man from the help of the Lord, which is the meaning of Cain. This confused many scholars. The reason for the confusion is that Eve states that she has given birth to a man, which leads some to think that she has given birth to an actual man, or at least a child that was way beyond his years as a newborn baby. However, this statement would more likely fit with the idea of what Adam says earlier in Genesis about the woman coming from the man. And now she, as a woman, has created a man. She simply could be saying that she is seeing the future man in the child, or that's just a way for her to express that she has given birth to a generic human man. Where it can be a little more confusing is the rest of Eve's statement. The literal translation of her statement can be, with Yahweh causing many to think that the father of Cain was actually God himself. Other scholars interpret the meaning to mean with the help of God, or together with God. In reality, it isn't referring to the fact that God had intercourse with Eve to produce Cain at all. But actually, Eve was simply stating that the help God gives in human procreation, rather than his active participation. With the help of God, Eve gave birth to Cain. But not much is said about the birth of Abel. Actually, some scholars believe that Cain and Abel were twins. The reason for this reasoning is because the next time that the Bible says that Adam and Eve had intercourse, Eve gave birth to Seth. This could imply that the first time that they had intercourse, Cain was born, but the second time that they had intercourse, Seth was born. The Bible shows that only two conceptions happened, bearing three children. It's also interesting how Eve celebrates the birth of Cain with her exclamation of producing a child with the help of the Lord, but nothing is said of Abel and his birth. Actually, his name means vapor or breath, which he may have gotten after his death. The two brothers grew up to do different things. Cain follows his father's occupation by being a tiller of the ground. However, Abel steps out to be something totally different. He takes the occupation of being a shepherd making him the first shepherd. Therefore, when both Cain and Abel brought their sacrifices to God, Cain brought the fruits of his labor from the ground. Now some think that the fruit that Cain brought in his offering were fruits that had actually fallen to the ground. Rather than the fruits from the soil, it tells us that the fruits were from the ground. Abel, on the other hand, brought his firstborn sheep and the fatty parts. In some translations of the Bible, the words for offering are different. It says that Cain brought his sacrifice and Abel brought his gifts to the Lord. Now, some may say that the reason God accepted Abel's gift over Cain's sacrifice is because Cain was just a bunch of crops, while Abel's was a blood offering. However, later on in the Mosaic Law, God does accept and commands the Israelites to bring in different grain offerings. 
So it wasn't that God wanted a blood offering from animals, but actually it was about the heart of the person that was bringing it to God. In Genesis, nothing is mentioned about why God accepted the offering of Abel and not Cain. However, in Hebrews 11 verse 4, it says that by faith, Abel offered a better offering than that of Cain, making it acceptable because it is impossible to please God without faith. Therefore, when Abel offered his offering, it was out of worship and faith in God. But Cain's offering is not accepted by God, and Abel's was. Not only were the offerings different, but it says that God respected Abel and his gift, and Cain he did not respect or pay attention to. Not only was Cain's offering not accepted, but the man himself wasn't accepted. That doesn't mean that God didn't care for him. Actually, God reached out to Cain and tried to warn him of the dangers that would come if he didn't take control over his sin. But Cain did not listen to God and his warning and soon fell to his sin. With frustration, the actual translation meaning to have pain, anger, and grief of not being noticed and his brother being accepted by God, two things either happened. Some translations say that Cain asked Abel to join him in the field, while other translations say that while in the field talking, that Cain rose up and killed his brother. Depending on the translations, if while in the field Cain rose up and killed Abel because of a heated conversation, then Cain would have just been acting out. Although some scholars actually believe that Cain wasn't acting out at all, but actually doing what God had told him to do. You see, when God told Cain that sin was at the door waiting to get in, scholars say that Cain must have not known that there was a spiritual side to life, that there was only the body and the mind. So when God personified sin to be waiting to take hold of Cain, he must have thought it was Abel. And when God said to overcome it, Cain knew what he must do to take control over it. However, Adam and Eve, Cain's parents, had a pretty good idea of what sin was, and they were aware of the spiritual side of things as well. If Cain invited Abel to join him in the field, the killing of Abel was premeditated rather than just a murder that was a result of Cain reacting. The word for murder actually doesn't come up in the Bible until God tells Moses not to murder. Therefore, Cain premeditated the death of his brother and invited him to the field so that he could kill Abel. It is likely that out of anger and hate for his brother getting noticed by God and Cain wasn't that he killed him. The anger is still seen when God asks Cain where his brother was. Unlike his parents, Cain lies to God and gives him a sarcastic answer that tries to pass on the responsibility of keeping an eye on his younger brother. However, God knows what has happened. And despite the dishonesty from Cain's part, God hears the innocent blood of his brother calling out. And with that, Cain is then cursed from the ground. Because the blood of Abel was crying out from the ground, Cain is then cursed from this ground, meaning that no longer will anything grow for Cain, and being a farmer, that would put Cain out of a job. Cain also was to become a wanderer on the earth. With this, Cain believes that his punishment is too great for him to bear. Some translations say that it's not necessarily too great to bear, but actually a plea from Cain for forgiveness. Cain was faced with the consequences of what he had done, and not only would Cain no longer be able to grow crops as he had done, he is now cursed to be a wanderer on the earth, driving him from his community that he once held with God and his family. Because of being removed from his community, Cain was fearful for his life, that someone would find him and kill him. But God comforts Cain by saying that whoever killed him 
God would take vengeance on him at sevenfold in Genesis 4, verse 15. And with this, God gave him a sign or a mark. No one knows what this mark was, but it seems to be a visible mark so that when someone would see it, they would know not to kill Cain. After receiving this from God, Cain then went out from the presence of the Lord. It's interesting that after Cain killed his brother, the Bible says that he went out from the presence of the Lord and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. A couple of things to look at here. First, the Garden of Eden was still around, even though no one was allowed into it. This explains why God placed a cherub and a flaming sword on the east side of the garden to prevent anyone from coming back in and eating of the tree of life. If they did do so, this would allow them to live forever in a broken and corrupted body, never the way God intended it to be. Also, this could bring up the thought that because God only placed a guard on the east side of the garden, that would seem to imply that the east was the only way to enter into the garden. If placed near or around Jerusalem, as explained in the previous episode, the west side of the garden would be protected by the Mediterranean Sea, preventing anyone from coming in and out that side. Secondly, the land of Nod is never mentioned again in the Bible, but it is interesting how God tells Cain that he will be a wanderer on the earth, never having a place, but we see that he settles down in this land and raises a family. The word Nod in Hebrew means to wander or exile. When it says the land of Nod, it literally means the land of the wanderer or exiled. Because of this meaning, some say that it isn't a place at all. But actually, it's a place where Cain wandered to and settled down. However, as Cain moved away, he not only moved from his family and community, but also removed himself from God. As Cain moved away, he knew his wife, and she gave birth to Enoch. Then Cain built a city and named it after his son. Some think that the city was built by Cain's son and not himself, but this isn't seen anywhere in the Bible. However, this does bring up some questions about Cain. As Cain moved away, he knew his wife and she gave birth. Cain is thought to already have had a wife before he killed Abel and was exiled. Otherwise, what would have happened next would be Cain taking himself a wife. But that's not what happens. No one knows who his wife was, but we do know that it had to be a close relative of Cain's. You see, this wasn't a problem back then. Actually, God doesn't say anything about it until Moses' time, in which God no longer allows for close relative marriages. For Cain to marry a sister or a niece is not an issue. In the beginning, the DNA strand would be much purer, being that Adam and Eve were made perfect. Therefore, when intermarriage happened, it would not produce the same type of genetic issues that would be seen today. But who was there to marry? The Bible only mentions the two sons being born and then after the death of Abel, the birth of Seth. And although the Bible mentions Seth as the third son that was born to Adam and Eve, he was born when Adam was 130 years old. And Seth was born after the death of Abel because at his birth, Eve says that God gave her a seed to replace Abel whom Cain had killed in Genesis 4 verse 25. But when Cain killed Abel, he and his wife left to live in the land of Nod but no other children are mentioned. Just because Seth was mentioned as the third child, it's actually more likely that many other children were born of Adam and Eve. For Adam to be 130 years old and only have three children doesn't sound very likely. That's about one kid every 43 years. The amount of children that Adam and Eve had before Seth is unknown, but there must have been a pretty good amount for Cain to fear that someone would find him and kill him. 
Most likely Cain and Abel were full adults, being that one was a farmer and the other was a shepherd. Some even say that they were about 120 years old. Because if Adam and Eve had children right after being exiled from the garden, and Adam was 130 when he had Seth, depending on how long they were in the garden for, Cain and Abel would just be about in their 120s. Now Adam and Eve didn't have to grow up and then have children. God created them full adults. It's weird to think that Adam and Eve were probably no older than 10 when they started having children. This can help explain why Cain built a city. First, because there would have actually been enough people in the world to fill it, but also could have been a way for him to protect himself from any unwanted visitors that seek to take his life. For a moment, the Bible follows the genealogy of Cain, but not much detail is given except about Lamech, the fifth generation after Cain. With Lamech, it is seen that the descendants are pursuing lives without God, because Lamech is the first to have been married to two wives, contrary to what God had told Adam and Eve when he said that the two shall become one, in Genesis 2, verse 25. But Lamech's sons created things that had yet to be made. Zillah was the one who lived in tents and took care of livestock. Jubel was not only thought to be the father of those that played the harp and the flute, but some translations say that he was the one who invented the musical instruments. Lamech's third son was an instructor of every craftsman in bronze and iron. This brings up an interesting fact. Before the flood, the use of bronze and iron were being used. Way before the time of the actual Bronze Age in the years between 3100 BC and 1200 BC and the Iron Age between the years 1100 BC and 550 BC. Some areas of the world, it lasted all the way past the time of Jesus' death. However, the last of Cain's genealogy ends with Lamech singing in a poetic style, boasting about killing a young man because he injured Lamech. With that, he finished his poem in a mocking way that if Cain would be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold, exulting in that he got away with no consequences. Once the genealogy of Cain is finished, the Bible switches back to Adam and Eve. Once again, it says that Adam knew Eve and she bore a son and named him Seth, because God had given her another son in place of Abel. When going through the genealogy from Adam to Noah, it states the father's name and then the son's name. Although it says the son right after the father, this doesn't necessarily mean that those children were their firstborn. Just like Seth wasn't Adam's firstborn, but we follow his line of descendants. If those who were mentioned from Adam to Noah were the firstborn children of the nine generations, the average age of the fathers would be 117. Most likely when it says that those men had sons and daughters, it could very well mean that they had kids before and after the son that was mentioned. This isn't the only time in the Bible that the son is mentioned is not the firstborn. For example, Seth, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, and David were all important in the line of Jesus, but not the firstborn. The only reason that the generations from Adam to Noah get mentioned is because that is the line of Noah. Later on, the Bible follows the generations from Noah to Abraham, from Abraham to David, and then David to Jesus. And all the generations of Adam lived well into their 800s and even into the 900s. They would almost live a thousand years before dying. The only one that didn't nearly live as long was Enoch. He only lived 365 years before God took him up to heaven. 
The word here means that he was transferred from earth to heaven with God, and he was no longer found. In the book of Hebrews, it says that by faith that Enoch was taken to heaven, and that he either pleased God or he had a testimony that pleased him. Either way, Enoch lived a life that pleased God, and he was brought up into heaven, being one of the two people that never experienced death in the Bible. Interesting thing is that it is thought that Enoch wrote a book, the book of Enoch. Although most likely it was a book that was given orally and then eventually put down into the book format. This book is not just mentioned in Jewish tradition though, but the book of Jude also quotes the book of Enoch in Jude 1 verse 14, as well as early church fathers in the 9th century. However, besides those moments, the book is completely forgotten about. The book is mostly about the visions of Enoch, the last days of the world, the judgment, and the future kingdom of God. Although the Bible does quote it, that doesn't necessarily mean that the whole book is true, just the part that Jude quotes. And it should be taken that some of it may be true, but much of it is inaccurate and is not true. Either way, the Bible does say that he was taken up to heaven with God and was no longer found. Based on the ages of the generations from Adam to Noah, the time that passed from the creation of the world to the flood was 1656 years. Because of how long people used to live back then, Seth died only 10 years before Noah was born. Out of the 10 generations, Adam being the first and Noah the 10th, only three generations were no longer around when Noah was born. These were Adam, Seth, and Enoch. Otherwise, most of the generations were alive when Noah was born. When the flood did finally come, Noah's father died only five years before it happened. But Noah's grandfather died the same year that the flood happened, making it seem that Noah's grandfather died in the flood. But before the flood happens, the Bible talks about why the flood came in the first place. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, it says, Now, when men began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters were attractive, and they took as their wives any they chose. The question comes up, who are the sons of God? The first thought is that the sons of God mean that they are the descendants of Seth, and that they saw the women of Cain's descendants and began to intermarry them. That Seth's descendants were set apart by God, but they willingly chose to pursue lustful desires rather than pursuing God. Much like God calling Israel to be his and to be separate from the other surrounding nations and to not intermarry with anyone outside of the chosen people. Because of these two descendants, Seth and Cain, one family being righteous as seen by Enoch pursuing God and the other being wicked and evil as seen by Lamech that takes pride in killing someone else. What supports this thought is right before it talks about the sons of God, it gives an outline of the two generations of Seth and Cain. Also, in other areas of the Bible, it does mention the Israelites being God's sons, but never actually being called the sons of God. Therefore, when they began to intermarry, it created a new generation of people that no longer pursued God. Another thought about these sons of God was that they were just very powerful humans that married the daughters of men. However, this doesn't explain why the descendants of these sons of gods and daughters of men were giants, as Genesis 6 verse 4 says. The other thought is that the sons of God were actually fallen angels, or demons. 
The reason for this thought is because throughout the Bible, whenever the sons of God are mentioned, it refers to angels. Also, later in the book of Job, chapter 38, verse 7, it says that the sons of God were there at the creation of the world, shouting for joy. Peter in the New Testament mentions the imprisoned spirits that disobeyed God in the days of Noah, and that they are waiting for judgment while in chains. Also, in Jude, it mentions that the spirits that did not keep their authority or positions that God had given them, and that they are now securely chained up, waiting the judgment. As Jude continues, he states that in a similar way, just as Sodom and Gomorrah indulged in sexual immorality, they are waiting for the day of judgment as well. However, as Jude continues, he states that in a similar way, just as Sodom and Gomorrah indulged in sexual immorality, they are waiting for the day of judgment as well. This could either mean that the sins of the fallen angels were sexual immorality, or that both the fallen angels and Sodom and Gomorrah are both to be examples of judgment in the last days. The argument against this is that Jesus would later say that there is no marriage and intermarriage in heaven, but that humans would be like angels. Matthew 22 verse 30. This verse doesn't mean that they weren't without any gender, as some believe to be the case. It also doesn't indicate that the angels were not able to, but that they just don't intermarry. This passage about angels talks about angels in heaven and not fallen angels that want to corrupt God's way. And as seen from Peter and Jude, no longer is this happening because the fallen angels that committed the crime are now chained up waiting for judgment. Another name for these angels are the watcher angels. The word watcher angel only comes up in the Bible three times, all in visions that King Nebuchadnezzar had. Although the term watcher is not used in the Bible to explain the sons of God, there are other extra-biblical readings that call them watcher angels and that some of them left their position because of lust for daughters of men, just like it says in the book of Jude. Whoever the sons of God were, the relationship between the two produced giants, or the Nephilim race, which means the fallen ones. The giants were known for evil that they did on the earth. In Genesis, it says that they were men of renown, and other translations say that they were heroes and famous warriors of ancient times. However, the word renown is the same Hebrew word that means name. This translation of the word name is the same word that the people at the Tower of Babel would use when they say, let us make a name for ourselves. These giants were a group of warriors that did great evil in the world because of their size and strength. The Bible says that in those days they existed and afterwards too. This can be seen in that when the Israelites went to spy out the land of Canaan, they saw the giants in the land. Also, giants can be seen when David killed Goliath. This brings up the question of how did they exist before and after the flood? Scholars have come up with some different thoughts that may put some light on the question. It is thought that the reason for the flood was originally meant to destroy the Nephilim but they still existed after the flood. This could be that after the flood, the fallen angels once again intermarried with women, but on a lot less of a scale than before the flood, or that some of the Nephilim DNA was passed on through Noah's daughters-in-law. But what was the purpose of the flood? Was it originally meant to destroy the Nephilim, or was it just to destroy people that no longer followed God? Join us next time as we go through Noah, the flood, and some thoughts on what the flood was all about. In episode 3, when it rains, it pours. Until next time, remember that you are loved, special, 
and worthwhile. Thanks for listening to the History of the Bible podcast. If you liked it, go ahead and rate and review it. For ways to give feedback or to let us know how this podcast has impacted you, check out the links in the show notes.